I knew that this was happening for a reason. And I was just blown away about how fast it happened. Literally a week later, dressed, hit the, became a starter, hit all my incentive structures and my career was changed because of that moment. If I could give you one message that could dramatically shift the direction of your life, I would tell you to visualize a world in which there was no judgment for the decisions you've made in the past, in which you weren't paralyzed by fear and you could make decisions that were in alignment with the life you desire to live. One in which you could speak only the truth of what exists on your heart. I would tell you to look at the life you're living now and reflect deeply on what you really wish could change. And then have you look down at the life you just created and the life you're living now. And I'd get real close and I'd look you in the eye. That type of look that says, this is too important to let pass. Your life is too important to let pass. And I'd lean in and with your full attention on me, and those two life paths, I'd say, you choose. Welcome to the You Choose podcast. I'm your host, Billy Garson Jr. I'm a former division one and professional athlete turned men's mental health advocate. I'm a transformation coach, public speaker, and I'm the proud founder of the You Choose movement, which exists to equip young men with the tools and techniques to choose a life that is in alignment with their highest self. It is my greatest honor and privilege to be with you today. The young man who is in a period of great transition in his life, who's asking questions and seeking answers. And on this podcast, through a series of interviews with professional athletes, men's coaches, and self-help gurus, we aim to educate, equip, and inspire you to bridge the gap between where you are and where you aspire to be. So listen deeply and find yourself in the stories of those who've sat in your shoes and now walk in the areas in which you wish to walk. Who am I without this thing that I've spent my entire life pursuing greatness at? A question I've asked myself many times in my life and an answer that continues to take on new meanings as I peel back the layers and get closer to the truth that exists in my core. This is a question that led our guest today on a journey that changed his life forever. After retiring from the NFL in 2017, today's guest donated his belongings, bought a van, and traveled the country for two years, seeking answers while placing his focus on self-discovery and healing. Joe's desire to understand himself more fully and find deeper meaning and purpose in his life led him down an alternative path which included sacred plant medicine, yoga, breathwork, men's emotional leadership training, and Jungian psychology and more, which radically shifted his life and deepened his understanding of what it means to be human. Joe's passions now include curating sacred space for other elite level athletes, entrepreneurs, and visionaries who are on a path seeking deeper healing, growth, and connection. The Heart Collective is movement, provides a safe space and container to curiously explore your individual and collective stories in order to affect and navigate lasting change within your experience of life and the world around you. On the whole, Joe is an entrepreneur and investor, and he's the host of the Quantum Coffee podcast. And today, we're going to discover the journey of a man who left it all behind to have less, see more, and inevitably be more. So sit tight, listen deeply, and again, find yourself in the story of another fascinating man. So without further ado, Joe Hawley, welcome to the show. It's an honor to have you here. Oh man, it's an honor to be introduced like that. That was, uh, that was beautiful. I appreciate it. Maybe it's your voice that just like, <laughs> I need you to read my intros to my podcast. It's beautiful. <laughs> we'll discuss that after the show, eh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, thanks Joe, for having me, man. Really stoked course. to be here. Of course. It's a real pleasure. I don't, I don't say that lightly. I've been looking forward to this conversation for, for a long time. I think you and I have a lot of mutual synergies in relation to our stories and I, I'm fascinated by you. So I thought a lot about where I was going to begin today uh, and where I wanted to take this. And I decided I want to go straight in with a bang and, and, and dive into the deep end. What does it really take, Joe, to take such a dramatic life change and leave your career behind? And as I've seen you call it, answer the call. 
Mm. Yeah, there's a a lot to this question. A lifetime worth mm-hmm. of um, unraveling and deprogramming, and so there's a lot that goes into it. So I'll see where it it takes us. Yeah. Um, but when I first decided to walk away from the NFL, it was my eighth season. I had lost my my starting job for the fifth time. I went into training camp that year uh, after starting the previous two seasons for Tampa Bay, the Buccaneers. Yeah. Uh, and I was told that I would be competing for the starting center job uh, with a younger guy. Uh, open competitions usually aren't so open. The The front office and, and coaching staff usually has their mind made up um, before all of this. And so I kind of realized I've been through this enough knowing that they just brought me back to kind of groom this new guy mm. uh, as the new center. So I lost my starting job after training camp, um, went into that final season, uh, first game, I was standing on the sidelines and I'll never forget, I was in my street clothes and, um, you know, as an offensive lineman, there's nine offensive linemen on a, on a team, usually nine or 10, uh, and seven offensive linemen dressed. So there's usually like two to three guys that are inactive, meaning that we're just wearing street clothes. We're yeah, there's yeah. no opportunity for us to play in the game. We're not in our pads or anything. And so I'm inactive and I'm getting ready uh, to kind of support the offense as they take the field for the first, first play of the, of the season. And for the first time in my entire 16 year football career, I started in high school, played four years in high school, four years in college, and now eight years in the NFL living out this, this childhood dream, uh, playing with the best in the world. Uh, really just like reflecting on it now, it's, it's, it's really crazy. And for the first time in my career, I was, I was content with, without being out there. Uh, part of me was actually relieved. Like, wow, I'm, I'm, I'm actually okay with not being out there competing. And that's a, a it was a huge shift. And, and every other time I'd lost my starting job for whatever reason, uh, whether it was injury or getting replaced by a top draft pick. Yeah. Uh, I always did everything in my power to, to earn my place back out there. Cause I just, I was just such a competitor I loved playing the game so much. And so that was just a shift in my feeling of like, wow, I actually am okay with not being out there. And because of that, I knew that it was going to be my last season playing football. And there's a lot that goes into that decision. Um, that was the moment when it really all kind of anchored in. Yeah. And um, yeah, I went through that whole season um, trying to stay ready and prepared in case my number was called. Um, and actually... Uh, happens to be that uh, like five or six games left. I kind of see the light at the end of the tunnel. You know, there's a part of me that was really excited about being done from the game, like experience the freedom. And there's a lot that goes into being so singularly focused on being great at one of the most challenging things you can do statistically. 100%, like, yeah. In the NFL. And uh, I was kind of excited about what what is life like without this? You know, explore that freedom. But there's also a part of me that was kind of questioning, what am I going to do, right? Um and so with like five or six weeks left in the, in the season, my final season, two offensive linemen get hurt in the same game, like back to back, boom, boom. And so I ended up uh, going from being inactive, like five weeks left in my entire career. I'm not like the coaches don't know this. A couple of my teammates do, but I'm just like, I'm like, I'm almost done. I, I'm not, I'm, I'm stopped like starting to lose weight even and like not like <laughs> working as hard. Cause I'm like, it's right there. Only like a month left. And all of a sudden I go from not, playing at all, which is hard to stay in game shape when you're not playing, especially in the NFL. And um, go from not playing to the next week starting against the Green Bay Packers. And in that process, a lot of fear came up. I was like, man, can I like, can I still do this? Can I still compete with the best in the world? And if I go out there, what if I get exposed? Like I could really get somebody hurt. Like if I'm not able to block these defensive linemen, I could like, you know, the quarterback, the running back, they could get seriously injured. And I remember being so stressed out and just to put some more context in this, I was actually going through a pretty um, intense breakup. I was engaged at the time and uh, the whole year, my final year, I was going through this, this, this breakup with my fiance girl. I thought I was going to spend the rest of my life with. And I'll share a little bit more context about that. But during this week, all of a sudden I'm being thrown into having to start and I'm going through this massive breakup with my fiance. And so I was so stressed out. This is the first time I've ever had like an actual somatic experience from stress, like so acutely. 
but I, I ended up uh, Saturday before going to Lambeau Field, um, traveling to Green Bay. Uh, I got like deathly ill, just really sick and ended up uh, getting a picture taken of my stomach. I ended up burning two ulcers in my stomach from stress. And so I ended up not even being able to play the game because I was so deathly ill. And it was wow. a fascinating experience because my, my psyche was so stressed and fearful that I wasn't going to be able to do it and all the stress going on in my personal life as well that it literally, it, it didn't allow me to. It's like, I'm not going to go get embarrassed, burn two yeah. holes in my stomach. I couldn't play. End up taking the right medication, calming down. Went, went out there the, the final four, I think it was four or five games. So I ended up playing the, the Lions the following week and finishing out the season as a starter. And the cool thing about that is I ended up uh, playing four of the best games of my entire career. And so after my final game, uh, we ended up coming back against the Saints and we were like six and 10, I think that year. So it's not like we were going to the playoffs, but we, we beat a Saints team that was pretty good. And it was my final play. It was like this long bomb touchdown to, to Chris Godwin from Jameis Winston. And I was running down the field and I just knew it was going to be my last play. And it was really cool to have that experience because instead of being on the sideline and kind of just being like, I'm done playing, like the universe gave me an opportunity um, to show me like I was walking away on my own terms. I could still compete with the best in the world. I still had what it took. I was playing some of the best football of my life. And so I was choosing to walk away. And I think that that's what a lot of people don't recognize. And the, the, the decision to walk away from that, I think is, it was hard to deal with on a lot of different levels. Going back to my, uh, my fiance, um, part of the reason we, I mean, we had multiple issues within our relationship yeah. Um, but one of the big reasons was, you know, I started telling her, like, I think this is going to be my last year playing. Uh, I think I'm going to walk away from the game. And she was not very supportive of that decision um, for a wide variety of reasons. One of the big ones being she was just as lost in the identity of being a football player's wife and mm. not wanting to let that go. Uh, I remember telling my parents that I was walking away and same thing from them. My, my, my dad just couldn't understand, like, how are you going to say no to $4 million? I'm like, I, that's not about the money. Like I've, I've made plenty of money. It's about my health. It's about choosing sure. uh, my health over the wealth. And I got to a point where I had made enough money to be financially secure. And, but it's just, people look at all of these kind of shiny objects that come with playing the game. Yeah. I'm really grateful that I got to experience what it actually took to get there. Um, and so to sum all that up, what was it like? The question was, what was it like to walk away from the thing I'd spent my life, entire life pursuing greatness at, along with breaking off um, an engagement to the woman I, I thought I'd marry. Uh, it, it was akin to to really going into my own chest and ripping my own heart out. Because three weeks after the final game, uh, I was sitting on my couch and in my apartment alone, kind of some some memories of a past life. You know, my, my, my fiance's energy was still very much alive in the place, a lot of these memories. And I just felt this like void deep within my chest, like a, like a black hole. And it was just the most intense grief I've ever felt. And um, because of that, you know, actively participating in this, in this, this death rebirth process, that's what led me um, on the journey of self-discovery and, and the path that led me to where I'm at today. There's 94 different ways I could take this conversation after that. <laughs> What a phenomenal... That's what I figured I said. I said, which, we'll see how it unfolds. We'll see, we'll see how it unfolds and where it takes us. You know, I relate heavily to so much of what you're saying in the respect of, and I think a lot of people listening to this do too in, in relation to so often the people closest to you not aligning with your heart's desire. And I suppose my next question would be, was there ever a doubt in your mind? when you were having these conversations with those people as to whether you will leave or change your mind? Yeah. Yeah. There definitely, there was, it was, oh man, there was this, there was this whisper. It's even, it's, it's hard to even call it a whisper. It's, it was like this knowing that this is what's supposed to happen. And that knowing, and I think this is, you know, in the work that I do now, and, and I'm sure you get this a lot too with, with some of your clients and the people you support, is when, when you're in something that is no longer serving you, even if it's a dream and it's like playing in the NFL, like I'm at the pinnacle, like I worked my entire life for this. For sure. And it comes to a point where it's like, okay, this isn't 
what I'm supposed to be doing anymore. And as much as I, you know, my ego or part of me says like, no, I'm going to keep doing this thing. I knew there was something deeper that was like, no, it's time to walk away. And I think whether you're in a, in a job that isn't satisfying or fulfilling relationship, a city environment around friend group where you're just, you're starting to, to realize like, this is no longer serving me and, and I'm not feeling as satisfied or fulfilled, but where do you go from there? Like, what's the, what's the option? And the challenge that most people face, and this is what I came up against is the challenge is I'm, I'm literally letting go of everything I've ever known, everything I've ever worked for, for what? I don't know. I, I don't know where I'm going. I'm literally, I'm, I'm choosing the unknown over something that I worked my entire life to create comfort around and my identity around. And so it's, it's when you look at it and talk about it in that way, it's like, well, you're fucking crazy. Like that's the, that's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. You're going to let go of everything. And, and the, the, the way I like to describe it is like, it's being untethered, like the feeling of being untethered to nothing. And I'm really grateful I got to experience that feeling of being untethered because it, it gave me a blank slate. It gave me an opportunity to really discover who I am, like who I was. I didn't know because I thought I was a football player. I thought I was this partner to this woman. I thought I was all of these things. I thought I was the money, the, the nice things I could buy, my bank account. Yeah. And I didn't know what was underneath that. And so I literally had to let go of all of that to go find myself again. And that was one of the most challenging experiences of my life. Like it is not easy. It is a hero's journey to actively participate in a death rebirth process. But what I found is if you don't actively participate in that, but you know, like you're unhappy in a relationship, you're unhappy in a job, you're unsatisfied with life where you're at currently, and you've created this comfort zone for you, but you're just like, something's not quite right. Yeah, It's only a matter of time until the universe... The, the circumstance, something happens where it, it literally rips you out of that. And it's yeah. usually some type of experience that is forced upon you. And hmm. what I've come to, 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 to really respect about people, and I see this when people actively participate in, and choose, rather than like being forced like a little kid, like not wanting to go to bed or something, right? Like getting dragged into the bedroom, put the bed, yeah. I don't want to go to bed. It's like, actually, I'm going to go actively participate and, and choose to go into the unknown mm-hmm. because I know that's where I'm being called and trusting that, that inner calling that I have so much respect for people that actively participate in that. And, and it's, it's not, it's, it's the most challenging choice of your life, but it is the most rewarding. It's the, it's the scariest decision mm-hmm. that I believe could ever come. I'm a big believer that similar to what you said, that, when you aren't courageous enough in moments to make decisions that are going to align you, eventually the universe will show up and make the decision for you. For mm-hmm. me, it was an ACL tear at the first game of the season. That It was just out of nothing, an ACL tear. And you look back at the decisions that were made leading up to that and the thoughts that were entering your mind and the knowing that you had and the calling that you chose not to listen to and all of these things. And one of the things that I'm so deeply admiring about what you're sharing is I suppose maybe it relates a little bit to your mission now, the Heart Collective, is you seem to have just listened to what your body and heart were telling you, almost like you you had this inner, you said this inner knowing. And we so often will ignore the inner knowing to listen to the mind. How was that such a, how did that process look for you as your mind was attempting to come in and overtake what your heart was inevitably knowing and on top of that, all the voices that were entering your mind as well from those that were outside of you. Yeah, that's a great question. And nothing really clear comes to comes to mind. Like <laughs> I gotta answer that, right? It's it's I mean, the word that comes to mind is is faith. Is this is this trust in that voice, that knowing, that intelligence, the what the mystery of whatever that is, whatever you want to call it. And, and faith, I've been really connecting a lot with faith lately. I, I feel very much in, in a deep process where my faith is being challenged currently in my life. Um, and, you know, as I continue to create and expand and, you know, I, like when I walked away from, from the NFL, I had enough money to, 
to be fine. Uh, yeah. You know, rest of my life, never have to work again. Um, could ride it out, you know, live comfortably. And got to a point where it's like, that's, that's not the point of living, you know? And I decided I wanted to have an impact and I wanted to help support people. And so when I had this vision of creating Heart Collective and, and building community and uh, supporting individuals in this, in this process of awakening so we can help support this, this collective shift that we're all experiencing and going through, uh, I decided to, you know, invest my time, my energy. And I've been on this journey for a couple of years now. And I'm getting to a point now where I'm, uh, I'm starting to, to be pushed outside of my comfort zone. Uh, not just, you know, financially with investing in this business and having employees and the monthly burn rate, and, yeah. but also the, the energetic infrastructure. And then, you know, confronting my own fears of being seen and showing up in this way. And all of these things that I'm so grateful for because, you know, life wouldn't be very fun if there wasn't, you know, high stakes, high rewards. And uh, what I found with faith, you know, is it's, you can, you never can grasp it. It's always, always fleeting. It's always testing you. It's always like right at arm's length. If you could grab it and, and, you know, have it be like, oh, like that's, that's easy. But that's not how faith works. And Right now in my life, currently I'm, I'm moving through this process where I'm, I'm, I'm reaching the edge and it's like the metaphor I like to use is, you know, I'm like driving off a cliff and I see the cliff and the edge is right there and there's nowhere to turn. And I'm like, man, I don't see a way out here. Like I'm yeah. just, the decision is just to keep going, keep going. And like, if it doesn't work, at least I'm going to just trust and I drive off the cliff and realize that the car I'm driving is can fly <laughs> and I'm given clarity right at the last moment. And so I've gone through this process quite a bit over the last couple of years of this death rebirth. And like, mm. it's in that, that dying of, of doubt and fear and grieving it that that's where the clarity comes in. And so I'm at this point now where I'm pushing up against this comfort zone where I'm feeling a little bit of doubt and a little bit of overwhelm, and a little bit of fear creeping in. And I know it's, I don't have the answer yet. I don't have the clarity. I don't have the next step, the next stone to put my foot on, but I'm going to keep on walking and trust that it's going to be put there when the time is right. Uh, Cause it always has. And I trust it always will. And it might not look the way I want it. Um, but that's a, I mean, that's a consistent practice. Like back to your question, it's, it's, it's faith, but it's developing the tools, the practices, the techniques, the connection, the presence, the journaling, the processing, the community to handle mm. all of that energy because it's hard to do alone. And if you're just kind of withering through life, you're not going to, you're not going to be putting that energy directed towards something. Yeah. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a lot. I love that you shared that and the way I think of it, it, it created a whole new definition for everyone listening of how to, and what it really means to sit in discomfort. It's like we convince ourselves that we're there. And I've done this so many times in my life. I'm in the discomfort. I'm in the discomfort. But then when it gets really uncomfortable, that's a whole new level. Mm-hmm. And what you're describing is that level of discomfort. It's like, for me, a massive fear of roller coasters. It's like the last moment when you're in front of the line and you decide whether you're going to get on the roller coaster or you're going to decide that, I think I might die if I sit in that seat, so I'm going to walk away, right? And that is how I have began to pitch a faith, is am I going to get on the roller coaster when it's scary or am I going to walk away at the last moment? And I'm really curious from your journey, obviously you, you shared there that your faith is being tested in this moment now as it continues to be. Looking back at your past and these major moments where your faith has been tested, can you just touch on how you've been rewarded for trusting? Yeah, what comes to me is one of the first experiences where I was, and I guess it's a, yeah, part of this, this knowing that everything happens for a reason. And so, you know, going from high school to college, you know, from college to the pros, 
going from Atlanta to Tampa. So like every time I change environments, like these big moves in my life, going to a different team, a different city, a different place. Every time I was in that experience, that first year, like my, my freshman year of college, my uh, rookie year of, of the NFL, like these big transitions, I would always be thinking about, man, I wish I was still in college or I wish I was still in high school with my friends. Like, this is too hard. This is too challenging. And then after a couple of years, I'd always have nostalgia for that year that I was in transition because in that unknown is where I felt most alive. Like where I felt excitement and it was, yeah, it was scary because I didn't know, but on reflection, it was the best moments of my life. And so when I got cut from Atlanta, my fifth year, because I blew my knee out and kind of got screwed over a little bit. Um, and I had a really up and down career with Atlanta, um, really challenged me. Like I, 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 I found it challenging to make a name for myself there. I kept like yeah, kept trying to like earn the respect and just never really f- felt like I broke through. And so finally got released and it was week, week one of the season, like that Monday. And it was, I was devastated. Like I, I, I went home, I, I was grieving my partner at the time, um, holding space, like crying, like really feeling all the emotions of yeah. feeling rejected, feeling like not good enough, like what's going to happen now. But that was the first moment I knew, I knew there was something deeper, like this is what's supposed to happen. Like this, like, this is going to work out. This is, you can't see it yet, but there's, there's something unfolding here. And so I just trusted and ended up week two of the season because uh, little context, they they waited until after all the rosters were set to cut me. So there was no opportunities for me to find another team. And one of my old uh, coaches was now coaching down at Tampa, the offensive coordinator. And so he called me up. He said, hey, I saw you got cut. Um, we are really looking for a backup swing guard center type. Uh, we just we just brought in a, a free agent center. So there's not a starting job for you here. But if you come here, you'll definitely be dressing and we would really love to have you. And so I'm like disappointed. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to be the starter, but there's no other opportunities. And talked to the GM and they gave me basically a minimum deal, a league minimum with all these incentives in the contract that if I ended up starting, then I would make you know my three or $4 million that I'd be making instead of like the 800,000. So I was like, you know what? There's no other opportunities out. Let's go. Uh, I feel it. So I went there, ended up dressing the first week I was down there. I got there on Wednesday, dressed on Sunday. I didn't even know a lot of my teammates' names, right? Like I'm just like, <laughs> just getting in, like learning the playbook. And they're like, are you, are you ready to go? Is your knee feeling good? I'm like, yeah, I got this coach. So I'm sitting on the sideline as a backup, you know, in my, in my, my pads and everything. And the first drive of the second half, we were playing the Saints in the Superdome. This is Jameis Winston's rookie year. Um, and the starting center rolls his ankle. So I'm like, okay, damn. So they, they, like all the, all the lights that like kind of come on me and I run out there and Jameis comes over me. Jameis doesn't even really know me. I just met him a few days before. Start doing some practice snaps. I go out there. I don't even really know my teammates' names. I don't know the calls that well. So I go out there and I ball out. And... The, the starting center had a six-week injury. So after six weeks, it was a high ankle sprain. He's healthy. He comes back and they end up saying, we're going to keep Joe in there. Uh, Joe's playing really well. And so I ended up starting 30 games in a row, the two seasons, my full contract. I hit all of my incentive bonuses, which because of that allowed me to contemplate retirement going into my eighth year, which is why I was able to walk away when I did. And my time in Tampa was really special because I had an opportunity of like this, this resurgence of my career. When I was playing in Atlanta, it was an older team. I was younger. I was trying to make a name for myself, could never really break through. When I went to Tampa, because I got there the first, the first game I dressed, like I played and balled out. So I earned everybody's respect like right away. Yeah. And it was a younger team. So for the three years I was in Tampa, I was, I was a leader. Everybody looked up to me. And so the reason I share this is that that moment when I got cut and released was devastating. Like I was, I, yeah, like all of the feelings, but, but I knew that this was happening for a reason. And I was just blown away about how fast it happened. Literally a week later, dressed, hit the, became a starter, hit all my incentive structures and my career was changed because of that moment. So yeah, that was just one moment of many, but that was a pretty powerful one. I would. 
And the speed at which it happens is what I'm most mesmerized by. The speed at which it's almost like the quicker you are able to surrender, the quicker life can show you what is meant for you. Yeah. Yeah. And, and like tying that in with faith is it's the test, right? It's, it's the letting go of like, no, but I need, I need it to know. But it's like, <laughs> the more you need to know is the further away it gets, you know, it's, yeah. it's, it's almost like journey. in those moments we, when we feel like we need to know, it's like we're trying to control our life and we forget that there is something else mm. that is holding the reins. It's like, we're trying to grab the steering wheel when we know we're not. Yeah. And you just like sit back and, and sit in the passenger seat and all of a sudden you realize you're at the destination that was desired. That's it. That's it. That's wild. Yeah. Wild. I want to really touch on and hone in on these relationships with your parents and, and fiance at, at the time. Um, young men, and which is a large piece of my audience, myself being one as well. The most difficult piece of following your truth is that you are also separating from the nest in many ways with family, uh, siblings, people that have spent their life giving you the tools when you didn't know what those tools were. What advice do you have for them as they shift out of that nest and really transition into making their own life's decisions? Yeah. Mm. Yeah, there's a lot there. Um, I mean, I'll touch on my experience with my parents. I, I didn't yeah. feel super. Let me let me give the advice, and then I'll talk about my relationship with my parents because I don't right. want to get too deep into it and, and lose this. But what I would offer for for young men um, just coming into their own and and really uh, trying to figure out who they are, really, because that's what this is all about. Especially in the separation from the family dynamic, getting out into the world for the first time is to experience as much of life as possible and not get attached to what life should look like, what success looks like in the ideas of this society and culture that we live in. Um, Cause it's all bullshit. And like, mm. even, even the idea, like I'm really grateful that I was able to make uh, millions of dollars at such a young age and live my childhood dream. I had everything I'd ever dreamt of as a kid. I got to a point where I could literally buy anything I ever wanted to buy as a kid. And I was 29 years old and walked away from the game that I loved and had everything on paper and there was still something missing. It's like, what? Well, this is I'm supposed to be happy. Mm. What I realized is that this rat race, this, this comparison, this, when you, when you, when you try to be something for somebody else, you're never going to get there. It's, it's like the carrot hanging in front of you. It's always going to keep going further and further away. There's always somebody that makes more money. There's always somebody that has more things. There's always somebody that has, you know, the, the, the better relationship on paper. And, you know, the key is to really find out who you are, find out what your purpose is, find out what you want to experience in life and getting clear on that. And, doing everything in your power to experience as much life as possible and, and fail as fast as you can. Because mm. if you're not, if you're not failing, you're not learning. And so if you don't, you know, if you're, if you're fear of, of failing, like if, if, if you look at any of the most successful people in the world, I promise you, they're just the ones that failed more than everyone else. And that's just a fact. And how you define failure, um, you know, you can, you can argue that, like there is no failure, right? Because it's only lessons. I think failure is only, only failure is quitting. Yeah. Even that's just a redirection. And so to, to really go out into the world and try different things, experiencing different things, um, connect with people, be open, be curious. Like all of these things will, will guide you to where you're supposed to be. Cause you can't, you know, we talk about the universe guiding and like the knowing, but you're never going to know if you don't step out into the world and allow it to guide you. Um, and make mistakes. So that's yeah. my advice there. Yeah. Um, my relationship with my parents is probably relatable to some. Uh, I felt like a black sheep, I guess you could say. Um, I grew up in a Christian household, very religious, very dogmatic belief structures, not the open loving type, but very like fearful and shameful type. And um, still dealing with that today. And um, got to a point where you know, on reflection now, 
uh, realizing this goes back to what I kind of just shared is um, one of the reasons and I think this is fascinating. One of the reasons I realized I, I was so good at football or at least made it so far um, and overcame so many you know, adversities and, and, and the statistics of what it takes to play in the NFL is because I, I, I desired more than anything to be, uh, to be seen and to be received, to be accepted by my parents, specifically my father. And so I remember getting uh, validation and love when I started playing football because it was something I was kind of good at. Yeah. I was like, oh, wow. And this is all unconscious, right? I've had to do some deep excavation to, to get to this route. And I think if you look in a, any professional, you know, ath- athletic locker room, I'm sure there's a, a common theme with this story. Um, but it was fascinating because, you know, without all the context and the journey going into it, I got to a point where I was one of the best in the world at this thing. Yeah. I was more disconnected from my parents than I ever had been. And I, I felt like they were, they treated me more like a football player than their son. I felt there was no depth. They didn't really care about me. They cared that I played football. All of these stories, of course. And when I walked away from the game, I felt so estranged from them. Um, didn't feel seen, didn't feel accepted. Um, they were questioning like, why are you walking away from the game? Because their identity was wrapped up in having a football player as a son. Yeah. And um so part of my, my deeper healing journey over the last few years since I've walked away has been uh, reconnecting with them. And what I realized is how could I expect my parents to see me, to accept me when I don't even know who I am? How do I expect them to know who I am if I don't even know who I am? And so I'm putting these masks on of, of what I think I need to be to receive love and validation, but it's just a mask. It's not actually who I am. And so as I went on this, this self-discovery journey of really finding my truth of who I am and then allowing myself to be seen in that truth in front of them, even though they might not receive it because they still have their beliefs around uh, how life should be and the expectations and the old kind of programming of society. Maybe they, ha- they haven't broken out of it yet. Uh, and there's a generational thing there too. So knowing that your parents are in a different generation, it's how do you learn to have compassion and love them, but, but still honor who you are? And if you're trying to be something for them to receive love from them, it's not real. So if you can go on a journey of experiencing yourself, finding yourself, and then allowing yourself to be seen, even though it may hurt them, there, there's, in my experience, some magic has been happening where they've actually, because I've been showing up in a, in a, in a space of knowing who I am, they might not accept it all the time, but but they, they see me and they, I know they love me. That's phenomenal. That's phenomenal. And I'm, I'm, I'm finding myself in my own relationship with my parents as you're saying it. And I love what you shared there. And I think it's, it rings so true. For a long time, I was hoping to be seen, but I wasn't letting people see me. I wanted to be heard, but I wasn't using my voice. And I wanted to be loved, but I wasn't giving people the chance to be let in in my world. And then that, turned to resentment and really that resentment of others was a resentment of myself because I didn't know how to be fully me. And it's so funny how life just continues to hold up a mirror for us in, in every area. I think that's, I think that's fascinating. I am so desperate to hear about your journey of travel and minimalism and and what that taught you. Um, Me being growing up in a, in a family where there was a period of my life where I became addicted to things. Okay, a, a, a period that I'm still growing out of at the moment. Um, but that journey that I've just scratched the surface of in, in listening to your story and looking at your story is, is deeply fascinating for me. So what made you make that decision to leave and to do what you did? And, and then we'll dive into that journey from there because I'm, I'm super curious. Yeah, yeah, appreciate it. There's, I mean... You have a little bit more context about my journey now from what I've shared. So I got to a point where, um, you know, I, I had I had enough money to buy anything I'd ever thought of desiring or wanting. And it's yeah. something fascinating when I got to that point is all the things I thought I wanted to buy now that I could buy them, I didn't, they like lost their lure. I was like, I don't really want, why would, why do I want these things? Why would I spend, you know, 200 grand on a car when I work so hard for this money? And it's like, what is that actually proving? And I can do it. So I don't really want to do it. <laughs> Um, and so, you know, and I, and I liked nice things. Like I had a nice, nice Mercedes and, you know, bought a house and, you know, had nice things. Um, but I wasn't like over consuming. 
uh, I, I really liked spending my money more on experiences. Um, but I got to a point where, you know, when I was deciding to walk away and going through this process, uh, you know, and really started like questioning this, these deeper questions, these deeper existential questions of who am I? It was like my, my seventh year going into my eighth, that off season. And I watched a documentary called minimalism on Netflix, um, which is really good. And it was very simple. And I was like, wow, like they're just, they're just living with like not that much stuff. And I started thinking, what would life be like if I didn't have all of this stuff? And when I walked away from the game and, you know, my, my final game uh, was in January of 2018. My lease was up in March of 2018. So I had a few months in that apartment. I had all this stuff and, you know, all of it had this energy of this old life, a lot mm. of stuff with my partnership. I was with her for like five years. Yeah. And I was just looking around. I'm like, man, like, and I started thinking like, I want to travel. I'm like, man, what, what am I going to do with all this stuff? You know, like, I don't, I don't want to put it in a storage container. Uh, it has all this energy to it. And like, I'm just going to, I'm just going to give it away. I'm just going to let it go. It doesn't fit in the van. I'm just going to let it go. And as I did that, I mean, it was crazy how I literally felt like this physical like weight. I mean, it's hard to explain, but it's like, if you're wearing like a weight vest working out and you like take it off and it's like, it felt like that. Like as I let go of these physical objects around my house, around my stuff, like all the furniture, the cars, like I let it go. I didn't, I didn't give away the cars. I sold those back. That was a a lesson in depreciation. That that was a hard one as well. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I literally felt this physical weight lifted off my shoulders. And and when I was traveling around in the van, like the feeling I talked about of being untethered, it was, it was both terrifying, but also exhilarating because I, I was free. I was in this van, everything. It was like, it was like going traveling with a backpack, except everything I owned was in this, in this car, in this van. And so traveling around the country with everything I'd ever need just in this van. I mean, it was an experience that radically transformed my life in every way possible, uh, built the confidence of who I am and what I'm capable of. It built my confidence and my trust and my faith in the unknown and the experiences and being able to navigate the unknown and just living an alternative lifestyle like this, this, what we're told of like, when you go to college, you need to get a job, you need to buy a house, you know, white picket fence, get married, have kids, save for retirement. So then you can start having fun when you're 65. It's like, wow, I'm, I'm living in a van and I'm, I'm like loving life and like the people I met on the road and being open to the synchronicities and all the synchronicities I experienced. This is something so profound. It's even hard to put into words. Um, but yeah, I mean, it just radically transformed my life in every way possible. What were the experiences that you said, you talked about confidence there and your life transforming. Can you touch on or can you pinpoint specific experiences in that journey that you look back on as pivotal in that transformation? Yeah, there's a lot of experiences. I think one of them that comes to mind is I was in, uh, I was driving up the West Coast near uh, the Bay Area. And I was, I was uh, driving in through up into Tahoe. And, uh, and I put it out on Instagram because I, I developed a little bit of a following through my blog when I was traveling and put on Instagram, like, hey, I'm in Northern California. Like anybody want to hang out or is there any events going on? What's, what's happening? And I remember someone being like, oh, there's this yoga festival in Tahoe you should go to. I'm like, okay, cool. Like, let's go. I'll just go do that. And so I, it's called Wonderlust, and I go to Tahoe and set this resort and drive my van up there. And I get there, I check in, I don't know anybody, and I decide to get a hotel room uh, to just like take a break from the van for a little bit. And I remember I went to the first couple like yoga classes and workshops, and I didn't I didn't feel like I belonged there. I felt out of place. It wasn't like what I thought it was going to be. And so I called my sister and I said. Uh, she's older than me. And she's, she was like one of the anchor points for this, this kind of untethering of my life. She was really one of the people I had that was like a rock in my life at this time. I remember calling her and being like, Hey, like I'm not feeling super comfortable and this isn't what I thought. And I'm, I just, I'd rather go like camping for a couple of days and, and just like be with myself. And I'll never forget what she said. She's like, isn't this, isn't this why you took this trip to get outside your comfort zone? 
And I was just like, oh, yeah, you're, I mean, you're right. Yeah. Like this direct truth, you know, like this is why I'm here. I'm uncomfortable. Like how can I sit in the discomfort? So I was like, you know what? You're right. Like I'm here. I bought the ticket. Like it's not a terrible place to be like it. Like enjoy yeah. it. Why aren't you enjoying it? So I ended up staying there for the rest of the weekend, uh, met a couple of really cool people. And then the final night, uh, ended up having a really amazing experience. I went to this, um, I went out and you know, I was like, there's gotta be some, some, some yoga girls around here that are looking <laughs> for a good time. And just the synchronicities that happened. I ended up going to this one restaurant. There was one bar seat. I sat down and it got dinner and a drink and, there was a couple of girls sitting next to me, but there was like guys kind of hitting on them and they're they kind of drinking and doing their thing really kind of loud. And I was just sitting yeah. there like, Oh, like just doing, doing my own thing. And then I realized that I guess these guys were really drunk and then the girls weren't really feeling it. So then they ended up leaving. And so I ended up like talking to these two girls and, um, end up connecting with them. And there's a, there's a, a silent disco happening that night, like a little concert. And so I'm like, Hey, like, what are you guys doing? And like, Oh, we're just going to go to the silent disco. I was like, Oh, cool. So I ended up hanging out with them like all wow. night and had this amazing time. That's and brilliant. it's really cool. Cause, uh, the, the girl that I connected with Julie, she's like one of my best friends to this day. And she lives in Colorado, owns a yoga wow. studio. And I actually drove back through Colorado like six weeks later and, um, stayed with her. And she actually, um, babysat my dog while I went to this bachelor party up in the mountains. And, hmm. um, actually just, was talking to her earlier today. So she's just like a really close friend that I met wow. on the road randomly uh, when I wasn't going to stay there. And I just, it's just fascinating to, to think about the threads and the through lines of life. When if I would have, you know, I was so close to just leaving and never connecting with her and how different my life would be. So it's just, yeah, it's fascinating. That's unbelievable. That's unbelievable. I'm sitting and I feel like I'm, the way you tell stories is, is incredible, by the way. I'm, I'm like, in, I'm in the bar seat with you as you're saying it. I'm like <laughs> looking at the girls next to you. I'm in the disco. That's incredible. And it's, again, it just speaks to moving through life in a way that when things are uncertain, you move anyway mm. with that level of trust and just continuing mm. to you're using words like untethered, I loved, surrender, just continuing to surrender keeps coming up for me. It's like the more you've surrendered into each experience, the more life has shown you a new direction and continue to lead you down that path. That's that's unbelievable. And I <laughs> I didn't think I'd do this, but I'm I just want to keep listening to you tell stories. I think it's <laughs> it's unbelievable. And what I want to ask is because things are coming through me as you're sharing. Is there another moment you look at in that journey that as as being pivotal in your in your growth? Hmm. The one that it just pinged and came to me. Um, I went on this. Oh man, there's so many of them. It's crazy. <laughs> I'm actually writing a book on this journey. Oh, so I love it. I'll be um, the first one to buy after this. This is unbelievable. Yeah, yeah I appreciate that. I'm actually. This is inspiring because I, I. Uh, I spent about five or six weeks really like writing the the bulk of it. And I've, I've kind of been busy with business and all these other things. So I've kind of gotten away from it. So this, right. even you just hear, hearing you say how inspired my storytelling is, is actually inspiring me to go back and, and finish Great. it, which is cool. Um, yeah, really cool story. I, and if this is earlier in my trip, I, I wanted, I went and saw a lot of baseball, uh, I wanted to see all the different baseball stadiums as I traveled the country. And so I went on this Midwest baseball tour is what I called it. I went to 13 games in 14 days in six different cities and two games in each city. And it was, it was so fun. Um, and so the last city I went to was Chicago and I was going to go. So we, I got in there Thursday. There's a white Sox game on Thursday and then uh, Chicago Cubs games on Friday and Saturday. And so my two of my friends were flying in on Friday. We got an Airbnb and we were going to go to the Cubs games together to fi like finish off this like big sprint of baseball tour. And, but when I went into Chicago on Thursday, I went to uh, this White Sox game and I didn't have anywhere to stay like in my van. And there was a guy on Instagram that was like, you can come park in my driveway, but I didn't really know where in <laughs> Chicago. Like, Chicago is a big metro area, right? Like I didn't know yeah. where I was at. And so when I went to, when I was on this trip, I posted on Instagram, like, Hey, these are the, all the baseball games I'm going to be at. If you want to connect with me, come to the baseball game and I'll say, what's up. We can have a beer or whatever. And, uh, so this guy 
uh, ended up connecting with me. And he's like, hey, I want to be at the White Sox game. I'd love to grab a drink or buy you a beer. And I'm like, cool. And, you know, I always don't tell them where I'm sitting. I just like go meet them somewhere. So in case it's like weird, which didn't really happen that often. So I ended up meeting this guy. His name's Brad. And uh, just, he's like one of these like really, like he, he talks a lot, but he's really like, uh, really like down to earth, loving, like Midwest, like salt of the earth type. And just yeah. like really wanted me to have a good time. And he's, Ended up being, I forget how we talked about it, but he ended up saying, yeah, I don't know where I'm staying tonight. Um, do you recommend anywhere? And he was like, hey, man, you can come park in my friend's uh, garage. Uh, what is it? Like a, like a warehouse that they're not using um, because they're out at this festival. And he ends up telling me the story around this guys that he helped build this school bus that they turned into a sound studio to go to festivals and DJ. <laughs> and this was the first festival they were going to. And they built it in this big warehouse in the middle of the meatpacking district in Chicago. And I don't know if you've been to like Never, Chicago. No, I so I, I haven't really been that much either. I don't know a ton about Chicago, but the meatpacking industry, I guess is like this kind of up and coming, like they're, 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 they're re like redoing it, putting more money into it. Um, so this warehouse, I guess these kids borrowed it from some big time investor that just had it. And they, so and I'm going, driving, following him after the game. He's like, yeah, just come stay there. I'm like, are you sure it's okay? He's like, yeah, I promise you. Like, it's all good. I'm like, okay, whatever. And I remember driving in the van and freedom was with me and my dog. And I was, I was remember being like, okay, I'm either going to keep following this guy or I'm going to like turn off and go somewhere else and just like forget, <laughs> forget I ever met him, you know? And I like checked in with myself. I'm like, is this, does this feel right? Like, should I be doing this? And because I know like, Chicago is, there's some dangerous spots in Chicago, right? It's a big city. And I'm like, I don't really know where we're going. What is this? And I like checked in. And I was like, you know what? Like, this is going to be one hell of an experience. <laughs> so let's go. And so I end up, following him, he opens this big, like big warehouse door in this brick building. I pull my van in and there's like, it's like a parking lot. It's filled with cars. And he's like, you don't have to worry about it. They took the bus. These are all their people, cars that they just parked here and they took the bus. Nobody's going to be here till, till like Monday. So, or Sunday. So you're good. I'm like, so I don't have to worry about if I fall asleep here, anybody coming in, uh, waking me up or like making a ruckus. He's like, no, no, no. I'm like, all right. And it's like, I don't know, 6 or 7 PM right at this point. I'm like, you want to go grab some dinner? He's like, yeah. So we go grab some dinner, grab some drinks. And uh, one thing turns into another and end up staying out to like 4 a.m. with this guy. And he <laughs> ends up taking me to like all these different like Chicago staples. And it's like, he's connected with everybody. And he's like, he just knows so many people and he's just really friendly and talking to all these people. And it was just like one of the best nights of my life. I was wow. like, who is this guy? Like, what are we doing? End up going back and uh, fall asleep in the van. And um I wake up to like, there's like, I look out of the van and there's like five people in construction gear with construction helmets down um, at the van, like talking. And I'm like, holy shit, like, what are these people doing here? There wasn't supposed to be anybody. I'm all hungover and like trying to make sense. And then Brad was, fell asleep on the couch. And so he gets up and goes and talks to him and ends up, I'm like, is everything good? He's like, yeah, you just, you probably just need to leave. <laughs> and so I end up leaving. And going to meet my friends uh, at the Airbnb for the Chicago Cubs games. And I tell them about this night I had. It's like this crazy night with this guy. Like just met him at the White Sox game. And uh, similar to Julie, Brad's one of my best friends to this day. Like I've, I've wow. been to probably like four or five different cities with him. Like just me and him going. We went to the, the MLB All-Star game together. We've been to Vegas a couple of times. And so... Uh, yeah, just really random synchronicity that I just feel super connected to this guy. And we've had so many experiences together just because I, I just trusted uh, the experiences that unfolded. This is unbelievable. This is unbelievable. You know, most episodes that I record, I have to go back and rewatch before I can give it a name and like do the timestamps. I think this is just like, this one's just so easy for me. I just, this is all about surrender and trusting and faith. And I'm like, <laughs> I could do everything the moment that this episode ends. I could, I know exactly what it's about. I'm going to go, what, what stories I'm going to tell. Fascinating. Fascinating. <laughs> Thanks, and, and yeah, Joe, it's a testament to you and, and the journey you've been on for sure. I could sit and listen to you all day. Unfortunately, we don't have all day, but mm. uh, we'll have to do this a second time. Unfortunately, yeah. hey? <laughs> we'll do it again. We, we should absolutely do it again. I want to transition briefly into, I know I spoke to you off air about some of the questions that the guys submit. 
from, from my community, the YouTube community. We tell them about the guests we're having on, they submit questions. So, and we take five questions for each, for each guest. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to read the five questions out and then we're going to go back and we'll take them one at a time. All right. Cool. So <laughs> this is a funny one because this relates to both mine and your story. It's Johnny's 21. He lives in Oregon. He just said, how do I know when it's the right time to stop playing sports? The second one is Alexander, he's 24, he's from New Jersey. He said, for so long in my life, I felt as though the days are just passing me by. I need help finding presence so I can be here more. I feel like life's passing me by. What are some presence practices that have supported you? Third one's Emmanuel, he's 19, he's from the UK. He said, I have these days where I feel so not like myself. It's like I can't get out of my head. What do I do when that happens? And then two anonymous questions. The first one is, I feel like just leaving everything behind and starting over, but I'm so scared. How do I get past fear? And the final one is, I need, funny how we talked about this today, anonymous. I need help trusting myself to make decisions that are for me, not others. Please help. So I'm going to take them one at a time now. The first one's Johnny. How do I know when it's the right time to stop playing sports? Mm. Yeah, first of all, thanks for all these questions. Wow. And Johnny... Um, I think only you'll know the answer to that. It's one of those things that I think that time comes, um, for all athletes at some point and it's hard. And, uh, I'm really grateful that my, my experience, I was able to walk away on my own terms, which there's something very empowering about that. Head over to BillyGartonJr.com. Scroll down to the section that reads, are you looking for a place to figure it all out? Click on the button that reads, count me in, fill out the information, and a member of my team will be sure to reach out to get you involved in the You Choose Brotherhood. Boy, will this brotherhood change your life. Community and connection meets courageous conversation. Monthly mastermind calls, bi-monthly brotherhood check-ins, mini courses, and answers to some of your life's greatest questions. We have it all in here. Head over to billygartonjr.com. Scroll down to the section that reads, are you looking for a place to figure it all out? Click on the button that reads, count me in, fill out the information, and a member of my team will be sure to reach out. Super excited to see you there. I love it. Joe, this has been fascinating for me. I, I, as I said to you a few minutes ago, I could sit here all day and just listen to the way you navigate storytelling it's it's beautiful before i do so i know you touched briefly on some of the things that your movement is is bringing into existence right now um i'd love you to touch on some of that and really share what what you've got going on yeah i appreciate it so we have uh our ongoing community uh we have an app with a lot of different content master classes uh, opportunities to engage uh, called the inner circle membership which is 29 dollars a month um, and then we have uh, Fear Alchemy, which is a course, which is, it's so much more than a course. It's, uh, it's like a mini ceremony uh, with fear and being able to identify your fear. It's a choose your own adventure. There's 10 foundational fears within this course. So identifying what fear resonates with you the most and being able to guide and alchemize that fear. It's really powerful and just launched it a couple of weeks ago and really excited about continuing to bring that to the world. Uh, so check that out. Uh, and then wow. we're hosting retreats, um, more retreats or next retreats in September. And then we're going to be hosting some local events here in Austin in the summer. Uh, so yeah, check out heartcollective.org, H-A-R-T collective.org and um, a lot of amazing stuff coming together. Really excited about what we're putting, putting out there. I love it. I love it. And where can people find you specifically? I think people got to listen to you more with these stories today. Where can they find you? Yeah, thank you. Uh, I'm on Instagram at joe.holly, H-A-W-L-E-Y. And then I have a podcast called Quantum Coffee, but we are rebranding that uh, into Drop Into The Heart. Um, mm. And that rebrand will go live end of June. So if you research or search Quantum Coffee, you'll be able to find me and then turn into Drop Into The Heart. I love it. I love it, Joe. Again, thank you so much for being here. Um, and to everyone else, if you haven't subscribed by now and you've been listening and enjoying this podcast, please do subscribe. I've said this a few times. I never would have thought we'd be getting the listeners, the engagement and just the people responding to this and, and these incredible guests and 
So I do greatly appreciate your support so, so, so much. And at the core of it all, as we spoke about trust and surrendering today, it really is a choice to do all of that. You choose. I'll see you next week, guys. Thanks for tuning in.